If you have your Bibles, open it to Acts chapter 4. Let's read the first four verses. It says, The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. To recap, last chapter we saw that through Peter and John, a man who was lame had been restored to health that he was crippled, unable to walk for 40 years. All of a sudden, they come, they saw him, they seized that moment, and they raised him up. And people were, of course, amazed, as you would be, as I would be. They saw this and they thought, oh my gosh, what's going on here? And he gave a powerful message to them. And as he was giving this powerful message, that's where we're coming in here. In the middle of this message, the Sadducees come up to him and they're upset. And so you got to, again, I, I love this because we, we try to just make things so clear and so cut and dry how things are working. But it was very awkward. Peter is talking, and while he's in the middle of talking, in come the Sadducees. Doom, 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 doom. And so here come these guys scowling at him. You know, it would be as if these people came walking in here, and all of a sudden they just started glaring at me. And they're greatly disturbed. Now, this is the religious elite of the time. These are the who's who in the religious community. And when they gather around, you don't just ignore them. They've got the gowns and they've got the presents. And so everyone is like, ooh, they're here. Everyone knows who they are. And they're greatly disturbed. They were bugged. Now, what's interesting about the Sadducees is they don't appear a whole lot through the Gospels. The Pharisees are who we see Jesus having most conflict with throughout the Gospels. And the Pharisees were kind of the fundamentalists. They were the ones who, they went by the law, they held to these things. And the reason they had such a problem with Jesus because Jesus was challenging their traditions that were stale and that did not accurately reflect the heart of God. And we don't see a whole lot about the Sadducees. The Sadducees were more of the materialists. They thought, well, you just do the right thing. And they didn't really care a whole lot about Jesus and what he was about. He was doing some good things. That's fine. But they weren't as troubled as the Pharisees were. And a lot of Pharisees did become believers after Jesus' resurrection. But you see, the one thing that really bugged the Sadducees was this idea of resurrection. The idea of a resurrection was something that really disturbed them because they didn't believe in it. There, there was one conflict with Jesus where they said, you know, in the resurrection, whose wife will this person be? And it was a conflict that they wanted Jesus to answer between them. And so there was already battling going on between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But here they don't like what Jesus is saying. And isn't it funny that when someone steps on our toes, that's when we become concerned, whether it's politically, economically, or religiously. And the same thing is true today with churches. I mean, in Christendom, there is so much conflict about things that really aren't essential. Oh, you might have strong opinions about certain things. 
you know, and dispensationalism, uh, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, uh, the return of Christ and all these different things, how it's going to take place. There could be a lot of strong opinions on that. It doesn't really affect to the core of Christianity, Jesus dying for our sin, rising again. But boy, if someone steps into our territory, man, we want to make it known. You're wrong. This is how it is. I don't like that. And of course, we need to speak out against heresy. Paul did. But when someone starts encroaching on our territory and our comfort level, man, it irks us. When your parents... And you see neighbors with kids, and they're, you know, oh, look at that, little Joey. Yeah, he's a spoiled brat, you know. They ought to get Joey in line, you know. But when Joey starts affecting your kid, then all of a sudden, it's not just the neighbor's problem. It's the world's problem, you know, especially if Mama finds out, you know. Then all hell breaks loose, you know. You keep your Joey away from my angel, you know, whatever it is. But we always get disturbed with these things and we fail to recognize, you know, that Jesus said in Mark uh, chapter 9 that whoever is not against us is for us. In other words, whoever has faith in the real and living God, it's okay. They have faith in God. They're for us. They're for what Jesus stands for. And there might be some differences. Of course, there's going to be differences. There was those kinds of differences at Paul's time. Some are of Peter. Some of are of Paul. Some are of Paul. Did they die for you? No. Don't worry. Don't sweat the little things. Something more important is taking place. Well, this was stepping on the Sadducees' toes. Didn't like it. And so they wanted to put a stop to it. And so they come there in the middle of this time and they start bringing down just the hammer on the guys. But before they did, it says that many who heard their message believed and the number grew to about 5,000. We saw that it was already 3,000 after chapter 2. And so 2,000 more have come now. And it's interesting, in the King James it says who heard the word. And here it says heard the message. And the, the idea is the same thing. They are hearing the truth about who Jesus is. That is the message. Many times when you see the word said, in, especially in the King James and the New King James uh, translations, what they're talking about is the message of who Jesus is. That is the word. That is the proclamation. In the beginning was the word. What does that mean? That is the declaration, the expression of God, that making clear something. So when they present this message, it's that understanding. And so in verse 5, it says, The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone or the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, 
for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Who is this guy? Because two months earlier, standing before these men, was Jesus himself. Jesus was before the high priests. And where was Peter two months earlier? He's outside. He was outside warming himself by a fire. And now he's in the hot seat. In the position where Jesus was two months prior. But now Peter is not warming himself by a fire. But Peter is on fire. Something's changed. There's been a transformation that has taken place. And when they're asking him by whose name or in what name do you do these things, they're trying to trap Peter. Because if a miracle is done by any other name other than Jehovah, then they were going to stone him. They had rights to. And here in the hot seat, we don't see Peter beating around the bush, you know, well, you guys, hey, listen, we're all friends here, you know, peace, love, Woodstock, you know, we're all, we're all just trying to get along, you know, bro. I mean, he's not trying to water anything down. He says, you want to know by whose name it is that this crippled man, and what's great, first he goes, if we're being brought here because we did something that was kind, helping this crippled man, who does, who does that remind you of? Remember Jesus when he was accused of healing on the Sabbath? And he says, is it okay to do good and not evil on the Sabbath? And he would say to the person who is in that condition, stretch out your hand. And they go, oh, you did a good thing on the Sabbath. Again, they did not understand the heart of God is for people. And so Peter picks right up. He'd seen Jesus do this enough times. And I love that because he says, you know, if we're being called on account, in other words, if we're being examined, we're on the hot seat. If we're in this trial right now, which is really what's happening, if we're being accused today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled man. And you're asking how he was healed, then know this. And boy, he just lets them have it. No, no hold back. He says, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And he doesn't stop there. He says, whom you crucified. <laughs> but God raised from the dead. Okay, first you're talking to the Sadducees who don't want to hear about the resurrection. And now he's saying, yeah, it's in Jesus' name. The one you crucified, but God raised from the dead. That's not just cutting them to the quick. It's pouring salt on the wound. It's letting them know, hey, it's about Jesus. And yeah, you crucified him, but you know what? He's alive. That's how this man stands before you here. And he then quotes scripture and he tells them, quoting from Psalm 20 or 118.22, he says, the stone you builders rejected has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Now, in Isaiah, it says that it is every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jehovah is 
the Lord. Here he is giving the claims to Jesus that really belong only to God. And that's what they're accusing him of. No one is, in any other name besides Jehovah, no one is allowed to produce these miracles. Jesus is Jehovah. Yeah, he's God. Yeah, it's in his name. And he's alive. Yeah, that's the facts, ma'am. You know, just that's how it is. Just laying it how it is. Pours it out. Boom. And again, you've got to imagine, here are these guys who are intimidating just by presence. Have you ever been around someone that's just intimidating by presence? Maybe they're famous, well-known. Maybe, you know, they're an athlete. And you stand next to them. I remember when I was real young, we were at the airport waiting to... My grandmother and grandfather were coming back from a trip to Europe, and we were all there, got out of school, which was cool. And we were there at the airport to greet them. And all of a sudden, my uncle goes, hey, see those guys? And you couldn't miss them because they were all over six foot six. And it was the Lakers coming back from a game, and there was uh, Jerry West and Elgin Baylor, and I forget who else was there. And he goes, here, and he grabbed a postcard that I don't think we ever paid for. And he said, go get their autograph. And we went there with signatures and we got the, I didn't know who these guys were, but I was like to their kneecaps. You know, and you're going, hey. and I remember, I think it was Elgin Baylor said, why aren't you in school? You know, and then I was like, oh, I'll go to school right now, mister. You know, it's like, this guy was huge. And I said, well, we're here to meet our grandparents that are just getting back from Europe. And, he, you know, he said, okay. Glad I don't know what else he was going to say, but you're just intimidated with the size of these guys. They're just huge. Or if you're ever at a place where someone famous is, you notice everyone's looking at them. You know, they're the famous person. They're intimidating just by their presence. Well, that's what these guys were. These were the who's who. Everyone knew these guys. Everyone parted the way. Everyone said, oh, how are you doing, Ananias? Oh, how are you doing, you know, Caiaphas? Oh, yes, is there anything I can get you? Would you like a cup of water? Oh, here, let me get you a bottled water. You know I mean? It was just like they were going for these guys, trying to just make these guys, you know, think, oh, think about me because you're special. And so here are these guys who are used to being treated as royalty. And what does Peter do? He comes and he confronts them. And it says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. I love that. That's my life verse. (laughs) I'm an unschooled, ordinary man. And I don't know how they perceived that. I, I don't know if it was... Their slang. I don't know if it was their clothing, their breath, their their hair. I don't know what it was that made them appear as unschooled and ordinary men. But there was something there that said, you're not schooled and you're ordinary. But they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Something about being with Jesus rubs off. Something about being with Jesus affects who you are and how you live your life. 
Something about being with Jesus has a transforming effect on you that other people notice. And that's what happened. And it happened to them. And you guys, it can happen to us as well. How do I spend time with Jesus? What, what do I have to do? Well, we have Scripture that gives us His words. We have Scripture that gives us basically the heart of God. Not only the words of Jesus, now we're reading about His followers, those who are closest to Him, who are continuing that message. We can pray and have a, a communication, commune with God, that idea of communication, communing with God. There are a lot of ways that you can spend with Jesus. There are a lot of ways that you and I can draw close to Jesus and allow Him to rub off on us. I remember one time someone asked, well, where did you go to school to be able to teach the Bible. I, I could have made something up. You know. Yeah, I went to, you know, GHS, <laughs> Glendora High School, you know. <laughs> I went to three different high schools, but had nothing to do with my ability. I just started reading. I, I just started desiring to know this person. I, I found something in him that I needed in my own life and I hungered for it. And so I started pursuing these things. And it affected my life. So that pretty soon, well, how do you know so much? I don't really know that much. And if you, I, I listen to some of the, my studies and I'm like, oh gosh, I, I'm a unschooled and ordinary man. My, my grammar is terrible and I, I don't, I don't speak so well sometimes. And yet I, I have people coming up to me and saying, you know, what you shared is really what I needed and I'm grateful that time with Jesus would result in something beneficial for someone else. And that's the way it is with us. You guys, you can spend time with Jesus. Wow. Wow. The effect it had on Peter and John was seen by the religious elite. The time that we spend with him will be seen by others around us as well. It affects our life. It protects our life. It guards our lives. Because all of a sudden, the things that matter to God start mattering to us. And, you know, it's not a matter of doing the right things. It's a matter of being connected to the one who is right. And it affects our life in the right way. Well, why don't you do those things anymore? Well, I I've been hanging out with Jesus. And I really want to please him. And it affects me. When I started dating Kareen, I stopped dating other women. Because if I wouldn't have, I would have stopped dating Kareen. 
amazing how it works that way. And you see, when I, I said, I want to marry Corrine, I said, I don't want to be married to any other woman in the world. That's what I said. I didn't say it in those words, but by what I did say and what I attached my heart to, it affected my devotion to all those other things. And you see, our affection to Jesus uh, affects all those other things. Why don't you smoke anymore? Well, I've been affected by Jesus. Why don't, why don't you go out and party anymore with us? Well, I, I've, I've been affected. I'm hanging out with this person and I want to get close to him and it affects the other things in my life. And, and I found that when I went out drinking with my friends and smoking pot and, and getting high with my other friends that I felt distant from Jesus. I didn't plan on talking about this, but here we go. When I was in high school and I became a Christian, all I knew was the stoner's life. I, I was, that's who I was. I was an airhead. And I would hang out with these people all the time. And I was high perpetually for about three years. And I became a Christian and so I still hung out with my friends, but then I started going to Bible study. And hearing the Bible, you know, and then I'd go back and I'd get high and go to bed. And then I'd try and read my Bible and I was high, but, you know, it, it doesn't retain well. <laughs> but I could eat a lot, you know. But anyway, that's a different story. And so I just started finding that when I got high, I, it distanced my relationship with the Lord. And there was this girl, and I, for the life of me, I don't remember her name. And I had a crush on her, too, and that's a terrible thing, but it's probably my condition. But I remember one day I was talking to her and how the conversation came up, and she said, I said something, well, I became a Christian. And she was surprised, you know, as you would be if you knew me back then. I was like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, because you always come to school wasted. It's, you, really? You became, yeah, I became a Christian just the other day. Oh, and she was just kind of, oh, okay, really? Yeah, and you know, she said, "Well, I'm a Christian too." And I thought, "Wow, that's cool, because you're cute too." And and then I started, you know, would go out with my friends, and I'd come back, and she said, "Well, do you still like getting high?" I go, "Well, you know what? Ever since I became a Christian, when I get high, I kind of get—I don't know—I just feel dirty. I feel like something's wrong." And she just made this brilliant statement. She—I mean, she just had this wisdom that was so profound. She said, "Well, why don't you not do that anymore?" And I was like, okay. And she goes, you can hang out with me. And I was like, yeah. That, it made sense and I like you. You know, it was like a, a double bonus. But all of a sudden I started finding my affections were changing. And I stopped going out at lunchtime with my friends. And we went, I was at Santa Monica High School at that time. And we'd go and get high and then come back to after lunch sometimes. And 
I said, I just started hanging out with her, and every now and then we'd read our Bible, and she would start sharing things with me, and I'd start telling her about what I heard at the Bible study I went to that week, and my life started changing because I was spending time with Jesus, and it was rubbing off on me, and it was working something in me that I didn't understand, but I liked it. And it was making me someone who I couldn't be otherwise. And he was changing me. And the reason it moves me so much because it was evidence of God working in me and upon me. And what was happening here, they were with Jesus and it rubbed off. And they marveled at it. He had command of the scriptures. He's quoting the Psalms and he's using it in a way that has authority. And they're like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? These are unschooled, ordinary men. But it's amazing what is happening. The same thing can happen with us. They couldn't deny it. And so they go on in verse 14. Says, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, <laughs> what's this poor guy doing? What's going on here? You know, I'm standing in front of the San, you know, Sanhedrin. These Sadducees are here. I'm, I'm in the presence of the big religious people. I have never been allowed to be in this place, but he stuck by them. He could have bailed. He said, "Hey guys, thanks for the healing. I'm out of here." But he stuck by them and he was there with them and he's standing there next to the, the people who God used to heal him. And he's there standing with them and so they offered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. Verse 16, what are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they have done an outstanding miracle. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further from among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Think about what they're saying. Think about it. The religious people, the people who are supposed to re represent the heart of God are saying, we know that they've done an extraordinary thing. There's no denying it, but we got to stop this. They've done something really good. Everyone's talking about it, but we got to stop this. Why? Because it doesn't go along with how we believe. It doesn't go along with our tradition. It doesn't go along with the status that we have. And if we don't stop it, it's going to affect us. Stepping on our toes. Verse 18, it says, Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, this is the Supreme Court writing down a law. You shall not speak in his name any longer. Bam! The gavel hits. Boom! That's the law. We are the religious elite. We're giving you what needs to happen. Remember who these guys are. Remember just the, the presence that they have. Remember the intimidation factor. And here's Peter's reply. Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Wow. Again, you can tell this guy's been with Jesus because he, 
He presents to them, well, what's better, to obey men or God? Don't you love how Jesus always asks questions when someone would ask him a question? And Peter's kind of adopting the same thing. Whether we should obey man or God, you decide. But we can't help speak what we have seen and heard. The implication is this is from God, you guys. We're not going to stop. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. In other words, this was no parlor trick. The guy had been there for 40 years. Everyone knew him. You know, there's Jaime, the crippled guy, whatever his name is. This is the guy who was there for 40 years. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, here's some money. Throw it in this cup, you know. He's been there for 40 years, and now he's walking around. You can't deny it. So they didn't know what to do. They were perplexed. Verse 23. Oh, wait, let me go back just a little bit. I want, I want to touch on who these unlearned men were. Well, maybe I better not if we're going to finish the chapter. Well, real quick. The disciples... Remember when Jesus found them? What was Peter doing? He's fishing. The others, they were out wandering around. Matthew was a tax collector. They had a guy who was a zealot, like a political activist. They had all these guys. Well, in the Jewish tradition, by the time you were 10 years old, you were to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. What were you guys doing when you were 10? Yeah, I think Legos was involved or something, you know. They had to memorize the Torah. And then by the time they were 14 years old, that, the first is called Bates Affair. You had to memorize the Torah by the time you were 10 years old. By the time you were 14 years old, it was called Bates Talmud. You were to memorize the rest of the Jewish scriptures, the whole Old Testament. You were to have memorized. Yeah. Okay, I want, I want you to think. I have a hard time with phone numbers, okay? But they had to memorize the whole Old Testament. It was supposed to be in their memory. And if you had memorized the first five books, and if you had memorized the rest of the scriptures, then you could continue pursuing what they called Beta Midrash. And it was where you could try to become a disciple of a rabbi. And what the rabbi would do, he would ask you questions and you would respond to these questions. And he'd ask you questions concerning the law to see how you answered about that, to see if you really knew that. And he would ask you questions concerning the prophets and see what you knew about it. And if you were the best of the best, then he could say, you can follow me and be my disciple. Because I think you can carry up and take and move on from where I left off. In other words, I think you can be like me. You can represent me. And they all had different styles. Some would focus real hard on the law. Some would be more on the poetical books or more on the prophets. They all had different things that they kind of leaned to and cling to. But to be a disciple, they had to see that you had what it took to follow after them. If you didn't, they would say you know what, you need to go back home and continue in your father's trade because you can't be my disciple. 
In other words, you don't have what it takes to represent me. Where did we find the disciples? Fishing, tax collecting. They were not the best of the best. And so when Jesus said, come follow me, I want you to be my disciple, they were like, really? Because I didn't make the grade, maybe at 10, maybe at 14 or thereafter. I didn't have what it takes. But Jesus, when he said, you will be my disciples, wasn't just saying, come, I want to teach you. He was saying, you can be like me. And what we see taking place here with Peter is that fulfillment. Remember when Jesus spoke to the disciples in in Matthew 10, 19, it says, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Spirit, He'll give you what to say. What happened with Peter? Verse 8, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, what's happening here is they are continuing what their rabbi had begun. They are continuing to represent Jesus. As Christ is, so are we in this world. When he said, you can be like me, this is now fulfillment of what that means as they're seeing it take place and unfold here. Okay, so that's kind of what I wanted to share. After further threats, verse 21, they let him go. What were they going to do? Verse 22 says, the man who was miraculously healed for over 40 years, he's standing right there. Verse 23, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they had heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage? And the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand and all the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, first in verse 23, where did they go? They've been in jail. They've been threatened. They've been tried to be intimidated. And they went to their own people. You know, that's what happens. When you go through a a hard time, you go... To your people. Who are they? Who are your people? Are they your party buddies? Because man, I'm going through a hard time. Yeah, I'm going to go party. Forget these. Uh, It's a tough time. I'm going to go. You gravitate to the people who are your people. When the difficult times come, who are your people? It's just kind of a fact of life. They went to their own people. And I would hope that when we go through difficult times, we could go through people that are going to guide us and help us in the right way. 
that our people would be the people of faith. People who could help us walk strong when times are tough. Because times are getting tough. This is the beginning of persecution to the church. What we see taking place here is what has been taking place ever since. There are people in the thousands who are suffering and being put to death because of faith in Christianity, in Christ, today. Persecution is more prevalent today than it was at this time that we're reading about and at any time prior. It still divides. And this is the beginning of when it started. They went to their people. And as they went there, they started praying. And what a beautiful prayer it is. They're, they're recognizing the majesty of God. And why do nations rage and plot in vain? God, you're doing something that will not be stopped. Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Why do they plot in vain? Why do they do these things? And I think even more telling about this prayer is that they don't say, Lord, help us. Lord, deliver us from these people. Get them off our back. They don't pray for the Lord to get them out, but they pray that the Lord would strengthen them to get them through. What do we pray? Spurgeon said, we do not ask for a lighter load, but we do ask for a stronger back. But what do we ask so many times? God, help me, it's so hard. Instead of, God, give me strength, perseverance. May my roots in you be so deep that I cannot be shaken. May I be a rock in this situation. Don't give me a lighter load. God, give me a stronger back to live the kind of life that you need for me to live in this world. Guys, things aren't going to get easier for you. Newsflash. It's not. Temptation, trials, they're not going away. They never have. They never will. And you can go to Christian school. You can listen to Christian music, whatever that means. You can do all these things, wear Christian clothes. You know. Abercrombie and Finch, no, that's a breadcrumb and a fish, you know. <laughs> it's not going to change your life. It's not going to stop temptation for coming. You don't need a lighter load. You need a stronger back. What are you praying for? God, take this away or God, make me stronger. Because that's what we need. That's what we all need. And that's their prayer. I love it. They said, consider their threats in verse 29 and enable us, your servants, to speak your word with great Boldness. Stretch out your hand, heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And verse 31, after they prayed, 
the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They got their prayer answered because it was the right prayer. I have a feeling if they would have prayed, Lord, take this away from me, it wouldn't have changed anything. But it might have changed what happened next in that the place was shaken and they were filled with the Spirit. You see, if they would have prayed, Lord, get us away from that, God's like, get you away. I'm asking you to step into that. You ever see those movies on D-Day when they hit the beach of Normandy? Okay, see those guys where they're shooting at you? Go for them. That doesn't make sense. They've got guns. They've got bullets. I'd rather go back on the ship, get behind something. No, if you want to succeed, you need to go into the line of fire. It ain't going to happen any other way. And the victory on D-Day required the lives of people stepping into the line of fire. Victory in our Christian lives requires stepping into the line of fire as far as this world is where you live. You've got to be strong here. Our witness is going to be proportional to the relationship we have with God. If God is working in my life, then it's going to overflow from my life. If God is not at work in my life, guess what? I am going to stagger. I'm going to struggle. I'm going to fall. It's how it is. There is no shortcut to holiness. There is no shortcut to strengthening our lives. It takes one step after the other. It takes perseverance. It takes dedication. It takes commitment. It takes resolve. It takes a strong back. I need one. And so do you. And so instead of praying, God, take all these problems away, pray, God, make me stronger. So that I can represent you right here where I live right now. So that I could be the one that doesn't go with the flow. So I could be the one that stands up. So I can be that light on the hill. I can be the one that doesn't bow to the pressure of the Sadducees or the peer of the friends. That I will be the one that stands up and people will look at you and go, man, what's with you? And you can say, I've been with Jesus. And it's affected my life. And I will not bow. I will not bow except to him. And may that be our resolve to bow to no man, to no temptation, but to bow to the servant, Jesus, and to be like him. Let's pray. Lord God, when I read these accounts, it stirs me. Not just because of what is taking place, the, the beginning of your church that has been continuing for these years, but the stirring that took place in these individual hearts is what I want to take place in my heart. The courage that they had 
as you filled them. It's the courage I want and that I pray for everyone here to be able to know you, spend time with you, and it be seen in me. Lord, that's what I want. And that's what I pray for everyone here, that there would be a hunger in our lives for what is right, and there would be a resolve to do the things that are right, and there would be a strengthening in our life as we don't yield and give in to the temptation and the pressures around us, that we're not intimidated by people or circumstances, but we stand strong in you. And God, our cry is even as their cry was, that you would stretch out your hand and do wonders among us, in us, and through us. And that you would give us the ability to, to share what it is we have boldly. That we wouldn't be in the closet with our faith, God. But it would be something that we would be able to stand up and say, it's in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that I have been healed. That I stand before you. pray, Lord, that that would be our testimony as well. Strengthen us, I pray, to honor you. And we do ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.